Welcome to True News 365. Check out truenews365.com for more podcasts, videos, blogs, and commentary from a Christian and biblical worldview perspective. All right, this is True News 365. Thanks for joining me again. The title of this podcast is Christ Reigns Now. For this one, we're going to need our Bibles, and I will be jumping from Scripture to Scripture. I'm using Bible Gateway online, so I'll be using various translations as they come up on my screen. So how often do we sit down and stop and know that He is God, as the Bible tells us to? How often do we stop to ponder the second coming of Christ. Acts 1.11, which says he'll come back just as he left. How often do we ask what's going on? What's God doing? What is he planning? What's, what's going to go down next? How is it going to all go down? Um, because, the, uh, because of the predominant premillennial dispensationalist-oriented eschatological view among believers today and here in the West we might lose sight of what's going on right now for what we think is supposed to happen soon. Believers might be depending on what's going on in the news in order to consider where we are in the timeline of end times events or that the end times might be now. But do we really believe this? I believe many Christians will say that they believe we're living in the last days, but since it's taboo to even sound like we're setting dates, we don't want to go there for fear of being called a time setter or a Harold Camping even, for those who can remember who he was. And also those who will say we're living in the last days but still believe there are things pending before Christ's second coming. So... If there are things pending, then you can't really say he can come at any time, can we? The third temple has to be rebuilt first. World War III, or the Battle of Armageddon, has to happen first, does it? So a few months ago, I set out as a personal agenda, and after 40 years of coming to faith, a decision to study deeply end times prophecy eschatology. And I think we should all do the same because I've come to observe and perceive that eschatology is one area of theology where many have not studied for themselves but have believed what has been taught famously not because of deep study. I'm guilty of that. 40 years of it. And so I'm not at the point where I can dogmatically argue for what I'm seeing in this but my mind is blowing up with what I'm seeing in Scripture. And I have to say that it's blessing my faith, not harming it. Praise God for that. And so I'm not at the conclusion of my end time study, but I've recently gone from premill to amil in my eschatology. But I believe I can demonstrate that Christ is reigning from heaven and earth right now, and we're living in the end of the age. So let's get to it. Um... I may be uh, 
pausing and interrupting and taking breaks because of my surroundings. I'm actually not in my um, in the best place today for my podcast, but let's move forward. Matthew 28, 19. Let's go to the Great Commission. Okay. Now, I'm going to read this. Um, now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, he worshipped them. I'm sorry. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay? This is considered the Great Commission and the reason why Christ didn't just take us, take up those who were his. It is because the kingdom is being built. The building of his kingdom is a process and a plan of God. Jesus has authority, he says, in heaven and on earth. This should immediately tell you that if Christ says to go do something, it's because God has allowed it to be done. God has allowed us to do that job. That job is to spread the gospel of the kingdom and to do what God intended us to do way from the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply, producing people in his image. Okay, When people come into the kingdom, they're transformed into the image of God. They then will live a life that pleases God and represents God on the earth. And then he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. That means that the end of the age is now because he hasn't returned, right? And he's coming at the end of the age. So that means we're in the, the end of the age, right? We're in the age he was referring to. He was living in the age then. And he promises to be with us to the end of this age. We're in the end of the age right now. Okay, let's focus on that. When the Lord comes back, it'll be the end of the age, just as he stated. Because we know that when he comes back, he will judge the world in righteousness according to his law and his word. Let's look at uh, John uh, 3, chapter 3, verse 8. One of my favorite verses in scripture out of maybe a million of them, of course. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now let's, let's read that same thing in the NLT version, okay? The New Living Translation. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I like this rendition a lot because it explains the verse a lot more deeply. He, he's talking to Nicodemus about a mystery. Nicodemus is saying, how can these things be? Can I go back into my mother's womb? And the Lord compares um, the born-again experience, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the regeneration experience as a mystery. 
a mystery most times in the New Testament is simply something that hasn't yet been revealed. Okay, he's not referring to the effects of wind blowing, which is observable, but to the mystery of where it comes from, where it's, where it's going. And so it is with those who are born of the Spirit of God, those who are regenerated. It's a spiritual thing, but a powerful thing. I love the word mystery in many places where it's found in the New Testament because it refers to things that are being unfolded and revealed after having been covered up. It truly brings to focus the saying that God works in mysterious ways. He does. There are things which he outright tells us he's doing, and then there are things which are prophesied, not clearly revealed, but then boom, there it is. The Amil view, in my opinion, exposes God's mysteries to his people a lot more than other end times views. That's what the book of Revelation actually was and is, God giving Christ to expose his mysteries to his church. And here we are. Okay, let's go now to 1 John 3.8. That's 1 John 3.8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? The works of the devil or Satan. Wow. John is saying that Jesus came to destroy or stop the works of Satan on the earth. What are the works of Satan? Sin, rebellion, death, slavery, evil. These are the works of Satan. And how does that manifest? How does that happen? When people are converted to Christ's likeness, when people have their guilt and their sin removed, when they're justified and atoned for, until God gives people freedom as in, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Satan can't accuse them. He can't destroy them. He can't stop them. He can't conquer them because he couldn't conquer Christ. And Christ allows us to conquer just as he conquered. But the world is still evil. The world continues lying in the lap of the evil one, as the Bible says. Satan does continue to deceive many. Right now, let's go to uh, John 17. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of flipping around in the scriptures, um, but this is so important. John 17. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, "Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh." that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave, have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave me, gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I ask, if, I'm sorry, if you go to, now skip to verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, 
but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Okay? Um, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He repeats this. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. This is, mag this is magnificent and incredibly glorious, what I just read. So much there. So there's so much there. First of all, we see election here in verse 9. Those who God gave the Son. You also see how these whom the Father gives are not of the world. Where are they from then? From somewhere else. Heaven. So God is not taking us out of the world, but he took us, he's sending us back into the world. How does that work? Right? We just read that he says, so God is not taking us out of the world, but then later on he says, I'm sending them back into the world. In other words, we're, we become, when we become spiritual, we, we leave the world system. And now he's going to bring us back into the world in order to declare Christ, right? In verse 9 again, there's a distinction between those who he's referring to and the world, cosmos in Greek. Not meaning the planet, but the world of humanity. The elect are being sanctified or separated from the rest. In verse 15, he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. We're going to be getting back to this in the rest of the podcast, meaning we can't be touched. These, this group of people that he's, that he's talking about, protect them from the evil one, they can't be touched. We've been separated, sanctified, set apart for heaven from where he says we belong. Jesus says he's not of this world, and he says neither are we of this world. Verse 17 says, verse 17 says, um, the Father sent the Son, so the Son is sending us out into the world, so that in verse 20, they can witness unto the world of those who will believe through the word, through their word. Right? So this totally encompasses us today right now this demonstrates that this is for us right now wherever we are okay in the world this is our time they can witness unto the world of those who will believe through their word and on and on and on by evangelism and the spreading of the truth by which we're sanctified unto eternal life okay so we're in the world but not of the world and a lot of people have heard that Okay, and eternal life, he says, is knowing God through the, his truth by which we are set apart from the world, right? Knowing God is intimacy language, as in Adam, Adam knew his wife in, back in the book of Genesis. So truly knowing God means we're known by him and have true intimacy with him. 
in Matthew 7, he says, of those who didn't really have that intimacy, I never knew you. Depart from me who commit lawlessness. Okay? They didn't have, they, they weren't his intimately. They didn't know him intimately. They weren't part of him. Where am I going with this? This demonstrates that number one, we are set apart for eternal life. Number two, eternal life is knowing God through his truth, which is his word. Number three, there are those who are elect and who come out of the world, from the world, as in a remnant. Number four, we are left in the world, not being of the world, in order to witness to the world concerning God's truth, by which humans are to be separated from the whole, right? From the whole, okay? And number five, those who belong to God have been protected from the evil one, which we read about in 1 John 3.8. Death, guilt, accusations, sin, evil, and the grave. Okay, that's what we've been protected from. That's what he's referring to, right? So we know that we're on the earth, but we, we still suffer persecution. We still suffer um, sadness and depressions, and we still suffer on the earth physically. But the protection that he's talking about is spiritual, the consequences of sin by where the judgment of God is coming upon humanity. Okay? We're able to do what God commissions us to do without impediments of the evil one to interfere against those who God will call forward and save by the proclamation of the gospel. God has kept the evil one from those who will hear their shepherd calling. My sheep hear my voice. Everyone the Father gives to me will come to me. This is in John chapter 6. Against Again, this is excluding the rest of the world. Okay? Let me uh, do... Hang on a second. Okay. Let's get back to this. Okay. Again, this is excluding the rest of the world. The rest of the world doesn't have that protection. But those who, in John 17, he says, were given to him by the Father. So later, when we see that Satan is bound... He's bound against the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the gospel to save those who God will take out of the world to be witnesses to him. Let's go to um, Mark chapter 3, okay, and let's read verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. Okay? He's speaking to them in parables. How? Remember, he's speaking to them in parables. Concentrate on that. Okay? And he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? Verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. Okay? Now watch verse 27. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Okay? So here, Mark says, The Lord brought up a parable speaking about a kingdom divided against itself. Because the scribes were saying he had a, he had demon powers, 
But the Lord says, how ridiculous. That makes no sense. Why would Satan be exercising demons? That would be a kingdom divided against itself. And then he says, you have to first bind the strong man in order to plunder his house. This is in relation to Satan being bound. And within this parable, the Lord is explaining how he's able to plunder Satan from his control over people's lives by binding Satan. Satan is that strong man the Lord is referring to. The identification of the strong man to Satan is the parable. Now we know that when his use of the parables, when he spoke to the unbelievers, were to basically talk and give information, but information that they were not able to because of their hardened hearts. They're not able to receive what he's talking about. So he, the, the Pharisees might have been like, strong man, what are you talking about, the strong man? What are you talking about? Why are you talking about plundering people's homes? But we now understand that the strong man, he's making that connection. The context here is that Christ is freeing people from their slavery to Satan. And the religious Jews are clueless to see it because of their hatred of Christ. Christ is freeing people out of their misery, and they're busy hating on him, Right? Okay, in John 12:31, what does the Lord say? Okay, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Okay, that's exactly what he's talking about, right? What we see in uh, Mark chapter 3. How he was bound and he was cast out. In Luke chapter 10, we have the commission of the disciples to go into the areas of Israel to proclaim the kingdom. And he's speaking of judgment to those cities which won't repent. In verse 16, he says, The ones who listen to you listen to me, and the ones who reject you reject me. And in the evangelistic context, the disciples say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He, got, he was cast out. As we just read in John 12:31, the ruler of this world is cast out. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Okay? Verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Right? So here he says, uh, in verse 18, he mentions that we saw what we saw in John 12, 31. And we also see it in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, where the dragon is cast down to the earth. And it says, woe to the earth and the sea. The devil has come to you with great wrath because he knows his time is short. And in this evangelistic context, the Lord responds to the disciples who are in, in awe that he's given them power to cast out demons. But he says, I have given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Hmm. Satan is called a serpent in the book of the Bible. And in the last book, in the first book of the Bible, and in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. Right? And demons are described as scorpions as well in the book of Revelation. Right? So I say that's interesting symbolism there for anyone who can receive it. Okay? And even more symbolism, which is what I call symbolism of spiritual reality. 
Let's look at Ephesians 2, verse 5 through 6. Ephesians 2, verse 5 through 6. Even if, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We might have read this many times for many years, but what does this mean? Is this just metaphoric, metaphoric or is this reality? Is this a reality? We know that Christ did die and he did rise. We know that he did ascend to heaven and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. This is what we believe. This is what we confess. But is that sitting at the right hand of God also a metaphor? But look here, it's, it says about us, he made us alive together with Christ. That's resurrection. The first resurrection, which is found in John chapter 5 and Revelation 20. And it says that they were seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means spiritual reality. We are positionally established within him now. This is now language. We are seated. This isn't speaking of us when we die or at the end of the age. This is speaking of us now. This is the language. Let's look at John chapter 5. Salvation, being born again, the first, the first resurrection. Okay? I'm going to go through this, and then I'm going to take a little break. Um, uh, and we'll go on to our second seg segment of Jesus reigns now. Okay, let's go to John chapter 5, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, now notice in verse 25, the Lord says, An hour is coming and now is. Focus on that, and now is. In, but in verse 28, he says, An hour is coming, but doesn't say, But now is. And then he goes on to talk about judgment upon what people do or don't do, good or bad. Verse 25 is speaking of the first resurrection, which is salvation, regeneration. Verse 28 is speaking of the resurrection of the dead at the end to eternal judgment, right? Okay, those are two, those are two resurrections. Okay, now let's go to Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. Here is more of what we say is uh, the, already, the already and not yet language. Okay, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, have we? Keep seeking the things above 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That language, we have died, we have been raised up. Are they metaphors? Or more than metaphors? Spiritual realities. Okay, So this symbolic language is seen throughout the New Testament. And the power behind them is the ability to believe in them by the faith that God has granted to us. They're, they're found within the Word of God and His promises to us. So they are, <coughs> without any shadow of a doubt, to be believed as true realities. As it is written, we live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 And it also says, Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. That's John 20.29 20, Also, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. That's Hebrews 11.6, speaking of God. Also, Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The operative words, assurance and conviction. This isn't about faith taking a backseat to evidence nonsense. This is assurance and conviction talk. When people try and deny the truth, they want to minimize the faith that God has given us. And yet the word of God says that those who are in Christ will conquer and overcome the world. How will they conquer? By their faith. If your faith is genuine, it'll get you to the end of the race Paul was talking about. It'll have you persevere to the end. It'll have you even deny the Antichrist and stand against the Antichrist. Faith is spiritual power. And it's because it's given to us by God himself. That's why true salvific faith is nothing to sneeze at. We are saved by grace through faith. Oh, you just have faith. Next time someone tries that on you, you now know what to tell them. Okay, so stand by for segment number two. I'll be right back. Right, continuing forward and talking about faith. Thanks for joining me once again, True News 365. And uh, we were talking on faith and we were in the book of Hebrews and now we're going to continue. That was Hebrews 1. And now we're going to continue with Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now, that's powerful, okay? That gives in context the power of those things which are not visible, okay? By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So, the things that are not seen, the things that are seen were created by the word of God, <laughs> by the power of God, by things, spiritual things that are not visible. Chew on that for a while. You'll be chewing for a pretty long time, let me tell you. Okay. In other words, spiritual reality is realer than physical reality, which is passing away. In the same way, the spiritual reality, 
the mystery that was from for the anointed one to take the seed of David eternally, yet never see corruption of death, was prophesied and fulfilled in Christ, as in Acts uh, 2.29 through 35. Let's read that. Brethren, my, my confidently... I may I, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promises of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Okay? So, not only did that king take his seat eternally at the right hand of God, it says, he also reigns continuously as in now. What about that kingdom? Do you suppose has stopped since the Lord has ascended and taken a seat in heaven on his throne. A lot of people don't focus on this too clearly. Um, he's reigning now. This is also seen in Hebrews 3.1. He is the radiance of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. <coughs> Excuse me, and he destroyed the works of Satan to disrupt the gospel of the kingdom to those who God has given Christ. And he's still conquering because we're still in the age expecting the return of Christ as the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Okay? He's king, he's Lord, he's high priest, and he reigns through the Holy Spirit, which resides within those who are his within the earth. My sheep hear my voice. That's John chapter 10. Okay, John chapter 10, verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Okay, his sheep, the called, are not going to respond to anything else other than God. They are predestined to come to God as the heralding of the gospel of the kingdom goes forth. Christ calls out his own, and his own will come to him. Our obedience is demonstrated in love towards God, calling us to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's now look at Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6. Then I saw thrones, and they sat, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and also those, I put that in there myself, but it says, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark 
on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So let's break this down because it's tricky and not an obvious read. John the Apostle, John the Apostle in that vision in heaven saw the souls or the persons who had been persecuted for Christ's name. The soul is the essence of the person. We are flesh on the earth, but also we are souls, okay? The soul is the real person wrapped up in flesh. The ones around the throne of God are those people being comforted who have died in Christ. There are those who have been martyred for Christ's name. They've been martyred for Christ's name along with those who, as well as them, have not taken what's being called here the mark of the beast. You can say the mark of Antichrist, the mark of Satan, the mark of evil, which is symbolic for being part of the world system. So in other words, to take the mark means to take on, to adopt the world system. These who had not worshipped the beast, the Antichrist, which is a system, a state, a rebellion, a mentality, a secularism, it's, it's, it's Antichrist, it's separation from God. In the last days, a leader, a ruler, a, a system of government, even a confederacy, anything that sets itself above or instead of God within the scale of time on earth, right? Uh, not having received the mark, which is an identifier of evil and a identification of evil, the culture, the world system, as in Romans 12, do not love the world, but be separate. As God calls in 2 Corinthians, we see in 6.17, 6, uh, having quoted the, the Old Testament, therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay? Meaning they came to life, they were, they were resurrected, and it talks about that this is the first resurrection, salvation. This is John 3.3, 3, the, the born-again experience, the resurrection we just covered in John chapter 5. It says they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We see that as before, that Christ is reigning now. As he stated, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission, evangelism. We see that Christ has bound the strong man in, in evangelism as he snatches those who are his sheep from the power of darkness, regardless of the ha havoc Satan is able to do on those who reject God, the ones in the world system, of which those who are his are in a part of because they've been sanctified out of the world as we read before we see that those who are Christ's don't identify themselves in evil by not having the mark of the beast in their lives in their minds the mark in their foreheads nor in their right hands which is their is symbolic of their dedications their work or sacrifices in their lives what they do um 
their occupations. Because of this, many will starve because they can't buy or sell or refuse to work and compromise the name of Christ and God, who is their true identification as having the seal of the Holy Spirit instead of the mark of the beast system. So the mark of the beast system is a copycat representation of what the Holy Spirit is as the seal okay, of, of God, of his people. That's what it is because the Antichrist copies everything that God does, right? So we see in 2 Peter 3, 8, speaking of a thousand years as an indeterminate amount of time. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. He's not saying that a day equals to a thousand years. He's saying that Christ is not bound by time. The same thing in Psalm 50, verse 10, we see, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not speaking literally of a thousand hills. That's, that would be a, a lot of cattle. Uh, these will reign with Christ for an indeterminate amount of time, but the rest of the dead will not come to life until after the end of the indeterminate time, or 1,000 years. These are those who haven't died in Christ and thus haven't been resurrected until after the end of the age, Christ's second coming. The stage is set here in heaven during the indeterminate amount of time which is happening now. At the end of this age, on the return of Christ, those will be judged and will be resurrected to be judged. Verse 5 interjects um, the information of those who haven't been resurrected, but continues referencing the ones who have been born again into the first resurrection. Verse 6 continues again, speaking of the saved, and says, Blessed and holy are those who take part in the first resurrection, who have been born again, in other words. Over those who have been born again, the second death has no power. Why? Because we've passed on over from death to life, as in Romans 6.13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. John 5.24 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, and he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. First John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Again, I ask, are these just metaphors? Or is this spiritual reality? Are we going to believe this as much as we can believe a cold cup of water when we're thirsty? Or are these just religious and theological reflections or concepts? Again, I say, unless we start truly believing in this, we're not going to be able to tap into power of transformation. Our very salvation is a spiritual miraculous thing. It's not just believing that Moses split the Red Sea. It's believing you're going to live forever. It's believing our sins are forgiven. Without the supernatural, without the miraculous, without faith in things unseen, where is our faith? We're called to consider miraculous things. Our salvation is miraculous. You can't deny this. We are spiritual beings. 
there's a transcendent reality we must tap into within this course of our faith that requires our attention. While Jesus was a man who was born, raised, he walked the earth, he spoke, he ate, he lived, and died, there are implications that require us to bridge our carnal and earthly existence with spiritual realities, spiritual realities that are just as true and real. How much of this are we going to believe? Do we truly believe this? How far are you going to take this thing we call faith? Can a man be raised from the dead? Our faith completely depends on that. Just like Paul said, he posed this to, to us in the word when he said, if Christ isn't raised, we're to be most pity of all people. Not just because it didn't happen, but because we believed and convinced ourselves that it did in a world that only shows us what is naturalistic and physical. But we know it's not just naturalistic. We know that there's more, and we know not all of it can be seen or touched. The message of salvation is the foolishness the Word of God speaks about through the Apostle Paul. That by faith, by way of the good news, one can be saved and reconciled to God. So let's go through this one last time and revisit it and then for a part two in the future, I want to go into Revelation chapter 11, which I think I can bridge with this Bible study. Then I saw thrones and sat on them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So that's us. Not just the ones, not just the ones who have been beheaded and persecuted, but those who also have refused to become part of the beast system and didn't compromise. They didn't compromise in their work, in their dedications, but put God first as it states in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord with your, with, with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That right there is putting God first. No idols. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart, which means abiding by the law, written in our hearts to do them. This is our reasonable service. Okay? Otherwise known, Okay, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This means this is the gospel, training them up, as it says in, in the Proverbs. This is evangelism, as in be fruitful and multiply, creating more of God's image on the earth, beginning with our children. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. On the right hand was symbolized as one's work and dedication by which God was to bless a man in his work. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. This is symbolic for looking to God, always putting his image before you, always one's identity in God. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, this means blessing your home and your family and dedication to God. This symbolizes being atoned for. This symbolizes the, the justification, the blood of the Lamb. This is the symbolic representation of being of God in the Old Testament, opposite 
of the imageries Satan imposes on his people today. Okay? In the New Covenant, it's the Holy Spirit, which is our seal of salvation, the seal of God within us. Revelation 20, verse 5, continuing. It says in verse 5, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Verse 5 refers to those outside of Christ now and who have died outside of Christ in history. They won't be resurrected physically until the end of the age, but their souls are mentioned here. Just their bodies. Their, their souls aren't mentioned here. It's just their bodies that's being mentioned here. They will only have one resurrection of their bodies, and that'll be to be judged. The New Testament considers all humanity, whether saved or unsaved, to have died or be dead spiritually. The unbeliever is considered dead in trespasses and sins, as per Ephesians. We read that. They continue in the state, in, the, in that same state, until God resurrects them unto salvation. The born again move from death unto life, meaning they were dead, but have been resurrected in Christ to new life. And then they'll die physically one day, as they have many who have believed, while they are alive spiritually, as we all have to die physically. If we're in Christ today, we were raised in newness of life, the Bible says. And once we die physically, we'll go into the intermediate state in the spirit, where we'll continue to await the resurrection of our bodies. But as we are, we'll be in the presence of God. Our bodies will resurrect a second time physically. First time spiritually, second time physically. The unbeliever has only one resurrection of the body at the very last day to be judged. Okay? But those in Christ who have been resurrected already spiritually will experience the second death, but the second death will not have any power over them. They will immediately reign with Christ in an intermediate state spiritually. While those on the earth are reigning with Christ because Christ remains in them. Okay? So Christ it reigns on the earth and Christ reigns in heaven. For those who are alive now and born again, they are also reigning with Christ here on the earth because they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. As it's written, I will be with you always. I will not leave you as orphans, but send the Comforter. I will be with you to the end of the age. They are priests of God and Christ on earth. And the 1,000 year reign that is spoken of here uh, in Revelation 20, for the believer is a spiritual reign with God on the earth until death, which has no power over them anymore. So they can walk the earth in Christ without the worry of death or death's consequences because Christ has overcome the world. We can continue our work in Christ on the earth until his coming. The sting of death is sin, and the sting has been taken away. Death itself is a transition into the eternal state in the presence of God by the throne. And we're not going to be judged as those who don't know God. Blessed and holy is the one, this is verse 6, who has part in the first resurrection over these the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. This is not a literal thousand years. This is a, a allotted time. This is 
an indeterminate amount of, of time. Okay, um, wrapping this up, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're, we are hidden in Christ Jesus. There, these are spiritual realities that we often take for granted or sometimes don't focus on. Gifts and realities that are God's promises to us that if we truly believed, we'd have incredible amounts of spiritual strength in our walk. If we consider that we're now in the tribulation, ever since the first century of the church, we'd perhaps pay more attention to our brothers and sisters around the world who are and have never stopped being persecuted and put to death for Christ's name. This has never stopped since Christ ascended. Yet the gospel of the kingdom has continued going on to all four corners of the earth, and the church has indeed done greater works than these you'll do, because I go to my Father, as he said in John Chapter 14, verse 12. This is what he was talking about. The gospel. The bounding of Satan is for the sake of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the great commission. It is the very command. It's the very last command the Lord handed down to his church. And so as soon as Satan is said to be loosed, what does he do in Revelation 20? He goes back to preventing the gospel from going around the world in deception, and this against the proclamation of the gospel. There's an allotted time to spread the gospel, and every single day while we occupy, occupy this earthly existence, we should be loving our neighbors and doing the work of God. Jesus says, I have food you know nothing about, he told the disciples. My food is to do the will of God, the will of my Father, rather. That was right after he was evangelizing his neighbor, the Samaritan woman. Thanks for listening to this Bible study. I'll definitely touch more on this topic, the end times, because we're in it. And the Lord is coming really soon. Okay? So, yeah. So, um, I'll definitely be getting back into this because uh, I'm opening up on this eschatology and this world stuff, and this is continually happening right now. We are reigning with Christ right now on the earth, and uh, we have work to do. That is the gospel, okay? So share this Bible study if you care, and until ne next time, be there or be square. God bless.